So this morning, we're going to be reading from Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. So as we continue our journey down Redemption Road, our text is one of the final passages in the Old Testament. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it was written later than all the other books. Scholars actually have a bit of a hard time placing the book of Malachi. They're confident, however, that Malachi was a prophet. And as we read the prophetic message that he delivered in our passage this morning, it's important to recognize that there are, there are two sections here. The first are verses 13 through 15, which speak of the actions and thoughts of the people of the day. And the second part are verses 16 to 18, which speak of the Lord's response. Let's read the word of the Lord this morning. Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A book of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I've been scrolling my Facebook feed uh, the last week, it's been a lot of hard news. It's been a lot of hard things between the, the, the horrible situation that took place in New Zealand that we have all over the news and, and then the, the less reported horrible things that are happening to Christians over in, uh, over in Nigeria and then the, the, the realization that one of the, the Parkland students couldn't deal with her survivor's guilt and, and she just took her life. It's like it's just been a series of, of bad things that have continued to scroll across my Facebook feed this week. And, and, and as, I was, as I was going down my feed, I came across a post from one of my friends. And he was responding to these, these tragic events, one in particular. And, and he was expressing his frustration and his, his post read, This is why I scoff when my fundamentalist evangelical friends say things like, The king is still on his throne. Meaning God is in control. Well, he's doing a really bad job right now, if that's how it works. At first, I was taken aback by his comment. But then I thought about it a little more. And it wasn't, it wasn't hard to resonate with the train of thought. I understand where he's coming from. I can relate to his frustrations in other areas of life as well. When the housing bubble burst in 2007, 
And our country was plunged into what is now referred to as the Great Recession. 8.4 million jobs were lost in the U.S. People were out of work and they were freaking out. House foreclosures were rampant. Banks shut down. Some of them went out of business. The country was floundering financially, and yet many of the businesses that were partially responsible for the downfall were actually bailed out by the government. So our tax money went to help the people that were ruining our lives. What? The individuals whose greed had shut down companies and cost millions of people their jobs were given multi-million dollar severance packages. The crooked and greedy men that were largely responsible for the collapse of the economy were given more money. It's like they were rewarded for it. How could this happen? Where is the justice? Is the king still on the throne? 46-year-old man, Louis Vargas, was sentenced to 55 years in prison after being convicted, convicted of sexually assaulting three women. After serving 16 years of his sentence, DNA evidence cleared his name. He served 16 years for a crime that he didn't commit. Again, where is the justice? Why would God let this happen? Is the king still on his throne? On the throne. I remember being like dirt poor and, and Karen and I were working thankless jobs in Buffalo, New York, watching friends who were living morally questionable lives rake in the dough. Why would God bless them and not me? Is the king still on the throne? Can you think of a time when you've asked this question or at least had thoughts along this line? Why did hail hit my car, leaving all those dents and damage, but, but not the car of that morally ambiguous individual? Why did my grandma get cancer? Why was my son born blind? Why wasn't my child born? God, do you know what you're doing? Because from where I'm standing, it, it sure doesn't look like it. God, are you still on the throne? Because from here, it doesn't look like you're ruling very well. How easy it is for sinful thoughts and feelings to rise up within us. As we look at or experience frustrating and unfair situations in life, it doesn't take long for sin to rise to the surface, for sin to make itself known. And in our sin, we, we feel forgotten. In our sin, we feel abandoned. We, we feel like God doesn't care about us anymore. In our sin, we forget His promises. In our sin, we wonder why God isn't acting like we think that he should. In our sinful arrogance, we question God's power and authority. In our pain, we question God's sovereignty. 
I mean, sin, man, it's really universal, isn't it? It's not held back by borders or cultures or even time. We deal with the same thoughts today that they did thousands of years ago. The people that Malachi was was prophesying to had the same sinful arrogance that we have today. In our passage today, it talks about how the people looked at the world around them and saw evil people prospering. They saw people that were famous and wealthy and were living immoral lives. They saw others that getting what they wanted themselves, right? What they themselves wanted. And, and these others were not living according to God's instruction. They saw people challenging God and getting away with it. And so these people began to ask themselves, what's in it for us? What good do we get for worshiping the Lord when it is the evil who prosper? Is God still on the throne. And so they lived as they desired. And then as our passage informs us, it was no longer possible to tell the righteous from the unrighteous. It was no longer possible to tell the believer from the unbeliever. In this way, it was kind of like beef pies. In February 2013, Great Britain's Food Standards Agency closed a slaughterhouse and a processing plant after investigators found horse carcasses had been used to make beef burgers and kebabs sold in Britain. A month later, Swedish furniture giant IKEA was drawn into the food labeling scandal as authorities said that they had detected horse meat in frozen meatballs labeled as beef and pork and sold in 13 countries across the continent. Shortly after the European horse meat scandal broke, the story took an unexpected twist. When officials in Iceland heard about horse meat getting into beef products, they decided to run tests to ensure that the same thing wasn't happening in Iceland. Icelandic meat inspectors didn't find any horse meat, but one brand of locally produced beef pie left it stunned. It contained no meat at all. Instead, it appeared to be some kind of vegetable product. One of the lead inspectors said that the peculiar thing is it was labeled as beef pie. So it should be beef pie, and yet there was no beef to be found. We struggle with our old nature, don't we? It is our old nature, our sinful nature, that that pushes us towards worldliness. It's our old nature that desires that we blend in with the world around us, that, that pushes us to believe that God has abandoned us, that he has vacated his throne, that we can live without him. That we could do a better job than he has. That that our moral compass points to a true north. And his, you know, tends to wobble at times. When we try to live a Christian life without God's help, we are Christians without Christ. We are beef pies without the beef. 
Praise God, who saves us from ourselves, who puts the beef back in our pie, if you will. As we read and read in, in Colossians 1, 13 to 14 earlier this morning, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And then continuing in, in verses 17 to 20, he is before all things and in all things hold together or in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all or to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so Christ has rescued us. He walked Redemption Road. He took the sin and the shame of our lives and died with them on the cross at Calvary. And then he conquered sin and death by his resurrection from the dead. And through faith in him, we have been reconciled to the Father. And we have been given a new nature, a nature that wars against our desires for sin and our doubting of God. A new nature that calls out to God. And our God hears us. Our passage today says that God hears those who fear his name. Those that have a new nature and worship and call on his name. And what's more, that our God remembers us. And that he has written our names down in his book of remembrance. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your name is written down in God's book of remembrance. Now this is the only place in the Old Testament that talks about God's book of remembrance. But there are references to similar books used by Persian kings. So we have a little reference for what this book might be referring to. A well-known example of this is the story of King Xerxes and Mordecai in the book of Esther. Now Esther is the main character in that story, but but a character that plays a very big figure, though not a central figure, is that of her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai's a fantastic character. I I love uh, the the story of of Mordecai. And we read in the book of Esther that Mordecai uncovers a plot to kill the king. He he figures out this plot and and so he, he informs the king. He tells the king about this plot and the guys who are planning it, they get busted. They get caught and they they get punished. However, Normally, a king will will reward the person who helps him. That's typically how this this goes down. But Mordecai wasn't rewarded. He wasn't wasn't, uh, praised. He He wasn't thanked. He wasn't rewarded for this act of service. However, the incident was recorded in the king's book. And years later, the king has apparently run out of bedtime reading. And, and so before he's going to bed each night, he has this book read to him. 
This, this book of, uh, the king's book of all the different things that are happening in the country. I don't know if the guy's got insomnia or what's going on, but he can't sleep. And so he has this, this book read to him before he goes to sleep. And when it comes to the story of Mordecai, he, he reads the story about Mordecai saved his life. He realizes that Mordecai has not been rewarded for this act. And so he rewards him. Mordecai gets What's coming to him? He just has to wait a little bit of time to get it. As a Christian, your name is written in the Lord's book of remembrance, and your reward is coming. But there's so much more to it than that. This is the Lord's book of remembrance. When we think of remembering from a human standpoint, it has more to do with like trying to not forget. Like that's, that's pretty much how we view remembering something. Trying not to forget. If you're married, you need to remember a few things, right? Like when your anniversary is, when your spouse's birthday is, and to make reservations for February 14th. Like that's a thing. If you forget these things, there could be consequences. We follow all sorts of like tricks and tips to make sure we don't forget things. Some people tie knots of string on their fingers as reminders. Most of us update our calendars or set alarms, hit reminders. Or maybe remembering is trying to recall something from the past, thinking about that event or experience over and over, or writing it down in journals so that we don't forget the details. Often we remember through pictures and videos. You know, we, we take cameras along on trips and we think are going to be important so we can capture a still frame or a video or something that is special to us, a memory that we will hold dear. Off the top of my head, you know, I can't remember the faces of the kids that came to my birthday party when I turned eight. That's a while ago now, but, but if for some reason I desired to know, I could pop in an old video that my mom took of that birthday. Then, the challenge would be to remember the names that go with the faces. Remembering is a big deal for people. Couples spend thousands of dollars on photographers for their wedding so they can remember as much as possible. Facebook has this thing where literally it will randomly pick out a picture from years ago so you can remember a particular event that you may have forgotten. And then it gives you the option of sharing that memory with all of your digital friends. Our human memories are weak and fragile. We go to great lengths and need a lot of assistance in our attempts to not forget. But remembering means something different, something more, when it is God doing the remembering. The Hebrew word zakar, which is the word for remember, often implies action or intentional thought. Some passages in the Bible understand God's remembering to be the same thing as God extending his mercy, grace, and forgiveness. When God remembers a person, it almost always has to do with God working or acting on their behalf. Hold on to that. Do we realize how fantastic that is? He's not just trying to not forget us. Like, that's not God's definition of remembering. It's not just trying to not forget. It has to do with God working or acting on their behalf. 
And your name is written down in God's book of remembrance. God remembers you with a love that does not forget. What's more, this this passage informs you that you are his treasured possession. The language used here is is covenantal language. It's the same word that is used when God instituted the covenant with Moses, making the Israelites his people in Exodus 19.5. What we can understand from this is that even though all of the world belongs to God, the earth and everything in it, his people, God's people are his in a special sense. And in Christ... You are one of those people. You are God's treasured possession. You mean more to him than the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and the flowers in bloom. Of all creation, God's people belong to him in a special covenantal way. So God has a deep and abiding love and remembrance of us. Will bad things still happen? Yes, of course. Friends will die too soon and too young. Family members will contract disease. Cars will break down and houses will catch fire. Dreams will be crushed and taxes will come due. But this does not change God's love for you. Regardless of how our sinful selves wish to understand the whys, like why do bad things happen in life? God's love for us does not change. Yes, we battle our old nature. And yes, because of that, we sometimes struggle to see how God could allow certain things to happen. We may even sometimes wonder if God has left his throne. But even as we struggle with sin and the effects of sin in our lives, know that God remembers you. Rest in the truth that God is actively working on your behalf. Know that whatever life may hold for you here, he has written your name in his book. And he has a reward for you in heaven. And know that God is forever and always on his throne. Rest in the comfort and grace of a God that loves you oh so much. What a great, glorious, amazing, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen.